welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. We are the Who Dat Jedi Council. I'm Aaron, and with me as always is Dave and Fredo. How you doing, guys? Good. Hello. And uh, I, I have to um, apologize if, well, right now the dog is asleep. Uh, my wife is coming back from parent-teacher conferences, but uh, the dogs might start going nuts at some point. So you might hear barking or chewing on bones or something like that. And if it's not my dogs, it's probably Dave's kids because they're running around somewhere, right? So it also might be the ghost at Fredo's. That's true. It could be the ghost at Fredo's. If if we hear if we hear the ghost speaking Spanish again, it's yeah, it's either Fredo. It won't, won't be one of my dogs. So uh, <laughs> but, well, I don't know. Do you know if your dog speaks Spanish? No, no. You're gonna house sit for me in a, about a month or so, so you can teach him. Um, I will. I will. I'll start teaching Luna some some Spanish verbs. So tonight, so last week we were we were trying to record, or we were trying to do a watch party of uh, Revenge of the Sith, and then a tornado came into town. Um, so that episode got scrapped. So we're gonna try it again. Um, tornado is not supposed to come till tomorrow, so we should be good. Uh, knock on wood. I'm not gonna knock on wood because it'll make my dogs bark. But um, so if you want to queue up Disney Plus or your DVD or whatever to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away in Revenge of the Sith, um, we are going to just do our own little Houdat Jedi um, commentary track. So on the count of three, everybody hit play. And one, two, three, play. And um, here we go. And um, I, di I did want to say this again. I'm, I'm not trying to rehash everything I said. I remember saying this last week that in this, in this crawl, I remember when I first went to the theater, I was like, how are we supposed to know who General Grievous is? You know, how, it's like I, I felt like I was, you know, dropped in the middle of an unknown country and I got kind of a little get off my lawnish but then I realized you know recently that it's no different than episode four in that crawl who's Princess Leia what's a Death Star you know it's like so um yeah it's just interesting how we we start our expectations get to a certain point so well and what's interesting is that this is I mean Arguably, this is the one where we know the most. I mean, we know who Count Dooku is. We know what Sith Lords are. We know what the Clone Wars are supposed to be. So there's an expectation that you've watched at least episode two, if not episodes one and two, to get to this point. Well, that's actually the first time that you really needed to have done the summer reading to understand some of the things that are going on. We'll hit on those as we go, but... Um... I, though I do remember when this movie came out, a lot of people were um, had favorable opinions um, about this movie, and I know that Aaron feels differently. But um, there was a lot of talk. It. Now let's, well, let's put that out there. Well, I don't okay. dislike it. It's well, not my favorite. So there was a lot of talk from people at the time that you could watch this movie and the original trilogy and be good because if this movie, not only because of the quality or presumed quality, but because of how much story gets covered here. Yeah. Like in this movie, you get everything that you kind of wanted from the prequels to begin with. Um, and let's pause real quick. This is an This is the best opening shot of, of any of the movies. I agree with all you know, yeah. respect. Sorry. It, this is just the depth, the, the scope of it is just awesome. 
I love the sound here too. We're not listening to this um, as we're talking over everything, but the sound design here is incredible. John Williams' score, um, the you know, it it all works so beautifully. And to your point about this opening maybe being the best in any of the movies, I, I would agree. And it really harkens back to Episode Four, which was that was how we all got introduced to star Wars was this huge, crazy scale. Um, that was just like, put you <laughs> kind of put you in your place a little bit. You're like, Oh my gosh, this thing is gigantic and I'm ready to be odd. One of the things that I do like about this, that even in just this little opening, speaking about the sound, they found ways to make the blaster sounds differently. The explosions sound differently the droids make different noises. So they find a way to give everything a little bit of identity and uniqueness, even though, you know, you're not, you know, it's supposed to be overwhelming. So I, I do have to say that, and this has to do with all of the prequels, um, the droid fighters bother me. <laughs> the little transformer vulture things. And then coming up later, the buzz droids. But I mean, here, I mean, just these shots where you see the pilots flying through space. I mean, that's kind of oogie. You know, in episode four, when the TIE fighters blew up, you didn't see the body flowing through space. I mean, (laughs) didn't this, this almost got a, it got a PG-13, didn't it? It was the first Star Wars film to get a PG-13. Yeah. It was the most grown up Star Wars movie at release. And, uh. Yeah, I mean, like, to your point, a lot of this, some of it works, some of it doesn't work as well. The Buzz Droid stuff, I think a lot of people would have preferred more dogfighting. And I know that George was just trying to give us something different, but, um, I mean, the, the, the Buzz Droids are fine. A lot of this stuff is... It works for the narrative because you're trying to establish. Try spinning. Obi-Wan. That's a good trick. Sorry. <laughs> well, they recycled that. They have to. Um, but you see a little bit more of a um, banter between the two mains, between Anakin and Obi-Wan. And I think like that was something that a lot of people had hoped to see. And in episode, it's a far cry from episode two. Um, and I think like you can kind of explain that by by just saying Anakin was stupid young. I mean, like if you're talking about a teenager, teenagers are terrible to deal with. We he all was, know this. He was young and horny. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> and so he's grown up a little bit, and so suddenly they're getting along much better. You know, it's it's funny how that works. And this is one of the things that Clone Wars did a good job of showing us is that. It's been three years since episode two, so that the amount of growing up that Anakin has done has been tremendous in both himself personally, but also the relationship between him and Obi-Wan. He's no longer a Padawan, he's a knight. He's somebody who can stand on an equal level, you know, with Obi-Wan, so that it's a different dynamic now between them. It's a more adult one. So, you know. And, yeah, and the, I'm also just, this is a minor thing, but the the disco headband headsets just are kind of goofy design choices <laughs> as well. But, you know, I get it. 
they have to go with the aesthetic that episode four will bring. <laughs> they actually kind of do, you know. I, that that was one thing because I remember one of the biggest critiques of the um, prequels and especially episode one was, you know, all the sleek designs and how big of a difference it was from um, the more me mechanical, rough, worn, lived-in look that episode four had. Um, and so, like, here you do see steps in that direction, finally. However, I will say one thing I will not get over is in in episode two and episode three, there are there's no room in those starfighters for the astromech droid. And you cannot retcon anything to tell me how R2 is fitting in the wing or R4 is fitting in the wing. That has driven me bonkers forever. There's no room for him. This is a nice redemptive moment for Obi-Wan <laughs> when he springs out of the um, cockpit and immediately goes into action because, like, prior to that point, you, I had a bit of a, oh, gosh, are they going to make him into the bumbling sidekick in this movie? Um, because Anakin, they really wanted to present Anakin as competent. And in doing that, they I was worried they might nerf Obi-Wan a little bit. And like some of the earlier scenes in this movie present that that, that as a possibility. But well, but it uh, comes it comes back here in about 30 seconds too, in about 30 yeah. seconds to a minute. I mean, it becomes a Scooby-Doo episode here in a minute. And that's, mm -hmm. I mean, um... but I did like that moment, like he jumps straight out and immediately yeah. starts cutting droids down. And it's like, Oh, okay. He's not just, you know, bumbling sidekick guy. But it's also important in terms of the, the final act. Cause if we're going to believe that they can go toe to toe, we got to see that he's also a man of action. It can't just simply be the negotiator as the incoming general Grievous declares him. So the speaking of Grievous, the homework that you need to have done, because I remember sitting in the theater, I'm like, why is this droid coughing? Because <laughs> I hadn't seen the Clone Wars movie. I didn't. I just knew this was General Grievous was the new baddie, and he was obviously he was a droid general, and he was obviously a droid. And you don't find out until later that he has organs in a in his stomach. I, it, I don't know. But the whole time that he's coughing, you have to do the homework to find out that Mace Windu like crushed his larynx i don't know what did he do he thought is it isn't he force he force choked his internal organs or force crushes internal organs in the four more cycle series see ellie doesn't like it either ellie doesn't like it either but yeah it's a um it was the Clone Wars micro series that revealed that little detail. And again, you were rewarded if you watched that because like you said, everybody's like this coughing robot. What in the hay? I don't, I don't What? What? I don't, I don't agree with this design choice or this story element. Um, but if you'd seen that, you kind of understood. So um, we always talk about the summer reading on here and this was, one of the most glaring examples of it. Here's another thing, um, and it gets into the the space battle pre pre uh, previous, and now this elevator thing, you know, because this is like, this is real world. Everybody has these fears when you're in an elevator. What's going to happen if it just starts, you know, crashing to the ground? Right. This isn't fantasy space stuff. This is 
everybody get, feels this when they get on an elevator, you know, that Tower of Terror type thing. Or in the Jedi fighters, when his, you know, windshield is covered up in grease and he can't see, you know, we've all been that way in a car. I just find it really interesting that here in the space fantasy movies, they're finding ways for the audience to connect with what they're going through. You know, if it was anything else that was just made up, then, it, you know, I don't know, the sense of urgency wouldn't be as strong. So, George has always had a real eye for that. No, I mean, so. he's, he's this visual storyteller, right? And so he gives you these visual, you know, um, pieces of information that tell the story for you. And um, I love that about his work. And this is part of the reason I'm sitting here talking about this this movie with you guys right now. It's because, like yes that, that makes sense like i can follow that um people sometimes complain about the politics and you know and the acting and other things but it's like well when you're looking at the visual language on display here well and the often... visual language i love how in again episode two and in episode three any chair that palpatine is sitting in looks like the emperor's throne from <laughs> return of the jedi i mean that's just that's a good style wink and my wife just got home so the dogs are gonna yeah this is like the inverse yeah this is like the inverse of the throne room in jedi because instead of mm -hmm. steps leading up to this chair you got stairs leading down you got all that space in between and it's uh it's really well designed to evoke that look uh from episode six without necessarily being a straightforward copy And I, I just, I really, really like the idea behind this whole sequence. Um, the, the visual, again, the visual cues here, Anakin's wearing black, you know, like we saw that with Luke, where he went from wearing white to gray to black. We've seen a similar thing going on with Anakin, where he was wearing like a tan to a brown to now black. Um, and again, the visual storytelling, we, we're understanding what's going on around us just by watching, like we don't necessarily need the dialogue to tell us what's happening. Also, and another thing that I really do appreciate is, and it's not going to come through till in a couple of minutes. It's even now, even though we're in the middle of a duel between uh, Dooku and Obi-Wan and Anakin that this is all part of the master plan of Sidious's master plan like the battle, this duel everything is going to happen he's been laying all the groundwork and he's going to wait for everybody to just walk into his traps and this is just one of the many that we're going to see throughout this movie by the way the last what four episodes of the Clone Wars season 7 um, I love how those work in tandem with this movie, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think to appreciate those episodes, you need to watch this movie again. Um, and, and vice versa. Yeah. Like, yeah, they really work off of each other very well. Um, I mean, if you... If you go online, go on YouTube, you'll see a lot of uh, fan edits where they splice and include 
elements from this movie and those last few episodes of season seven of Clone Wars where, you know, they try to make it all fit so you can tell. And even not just episodes, uh, uh, season seven, but also they'll include Jedi Fallen Order. They'll include the Bad Batch. They do a good job of making it all fit into, okay, this is what we know happens, what'll happen in this movie. But that, you know, it's all coordinated. It's all planned. So here's where I wish that this would have been a series of Anakin making the wrong choices and making giving in to the dark side and not trying to thinking that he's going a noble route, trying to doing things to save his wife later on. I mean, this I just it I, I that's my big critique. I've mentioned a bunch of times how you know it's he he turns into Darth Vader to save his wife's life. And that's just kind of like, ugh, you know, um, I wish like this one. Like with, it's, the dark yeah. It's, it starts with slicing off Dooku's head. Then I don't know, make him, you know, like, I don't know, give Yoda a wedgie or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like, have him <laughs> make, you know, have him just make constant bad decisions or telling Mace Windu where to go or something like that. You know, just, um, and it, it, even with when he doesn't get on the Jedi council, not, I'm sorry, not to get the cart before the horse. Um, but, um, yeah. So it, again, this is where the summer reading helps. It shouldn't have, we shouldn't have to rely on the other material to make all of this work. Clone Wars makes it better. I've said it. When you, Clone when Wars you watch Clone Wars, you see him just making poor choice after poor choice. And, Selfish um, choice after yeah exactly struggling, you know, going for power and, and, and for good reason and it's not sometimes those poor choices or the selfish choices they're not they're not for evil they're not for his own gain it's a oh I'm trying to protect my friend or I'm trying to save my padawan or I'm trying to do this good and he takes the quick path which is the one that leads him to the dark side. So we just flashed back to Grievous, and I know, again, that, that character either works or doesn't work for you. Um, but I think the character is really important because of what we were just talking about with uh, Palpatine's plan to replace um, his Padawan, um, or his Sith apprentice, I should say. Um, you cannot kill Dooku in the first ten minutes of this movie and then not have any kind of antagonist after that point, I don't think. Um, there has to be some kind of a red herring for the good guys to be chasing after at this oh, point. Oh, 100%. 100%. You know, yeah. so obviously, like, his character is super important from that perspective. Um, and I also really enjoy the whole concept of the lightsaber uh, collection and the Jedi killer and everything else. It's, it's a fun idea. I used to have this idea for if they ever made a Star Wars fighting video game where you could design your own Jedi, you could design or character, design your own lightsaber. And you know how in video game racing games you play in you know, a race for pink, pink slips? You could have a duel where you could put your lightsaber up against the other person's lightsaber and whoever wins walks away with both. Which could have been interesting, but you know. Uh, the other thing I was going to say regarding Dooku, I mean, I'm sorry, about Brad Grievous is he's a, he's a continuation of the story that we've seen where um, metal and or machine and organic are merging. 
Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, you saw what's his name, uh, Camp no, Maul in Clone Wars, where he's half man, half machine. You've seen uh, Anakin with his uh, metallic hand, but it's all leading, to, it's all hinting at where it's going to lead to Anakin becoming Vader, where he's so mixed between man and machine that he can't live, one can't live without the other. Well, and, and again, the summer reading again, because he calls uh, Obi-Wan the negotiator. And it's like, I was sitting there at the theater, okay, what? that's interesting, out of left field. But if you watch Clone Wars, yeah. you understand. Um, you know, They're so, trying to make so it seem think- like there's been more story happening that we haven't seen. That's it. and It's a good trick to kind of hint at the three years that we, at this point, had not seen in 2005. But yeah, it does kind of go like, well, it'd be nice to have seen it. Of course, we waited a whole few years to get it later. So did did uh, The Last Jedi um, help to explain something here? Because I've always it's always sat wrong with me that here Obi-Wan is spending a lot of up-close and personal time with Palpatine in the beginning of this movie. Right after Palpatine, um, you know, basically coerced Anakin into murder. And he doesn't get a sense of the dark side. Doesn't get a sense of evil within Palpatine. Um, so did The Last Jedi, when Rey says to Luke, you shut yourself off from the Force. Is that what Palpatine's doing? So that the Jedi can't get hip to him? Do you think he's shutting himself off until he needs to use the Force? Did The Last it's Jedi... Inter- it's a good question inter- because... Yeah. Go ahead, Fredo. Sorry. Just because I mean, we, I was going to say, yeah, because we've seen in episode two where he's been in the same room as Windu and Yoda, so and the rest of the council. So he's comfortable enough doing whatever he's doing in order to ensure that they do not detect him. And it never crosses their mind until this movie when Anakin finally reveals him uh, to them. But so whatever he's doing, whether he's shutting himself up from the force or whether he's engaging in some sort of other. Sith magic to hide himself. Yeah, we don't know. I think it's a fun theory, you know. And again, like based on what we know from the series of movies at this point, it's it, it tracks. So, um, I think that's cool. Battle um, droids are useless, by the way. <laughs> Even more so, you know. We were talking about some of the changes that occurred in the early part of this this movie, like they lightened up their voices like they made them sound squeakier and like more feeble and like i just like to the point where i was like thrown off a little bit in the theater on my first viewing but again i think the point is yeah these these guys are just totally useless like they are not they're pawns in this whole thing like they are they are not a factor at all well, it's similar to the, I mean, a few minutes earlier, we saw R2 take out some two super destroyers yeah. and did so without too much fuss. And I'm like, okay, that's when you know you're like, okay, what's going on here? Because those guys got these wimpy voices and they're, you know, they're trying to sound menacing and R2 just coats them in oil, sets them on fire and whistles away. Now, how, so I'm going to ask you, do you think, because uh, you, you likened it to episode four, Episode mm-hmm. four, you have the opening battle, and then it cools off really pretty quick. They go, they shift into neutral quick. 
this movie has not shifted out of neutral or shifted <laughs> into neutral yet. This, I mean, no. we're how many minutes into this now? We're 22 and a half minutes into this and it's been, you know, um, the needle's been buried. There's been no really any letdown. Do you think that that is okay? Do you think it should have, do you think it's gone on a little bit too long? The, the hijinks and everything or. Well, George ultimately painted himself into this kind of corner with what he did um, in the previous two movies. And, and it became, by necessity, he had to just fill this movie with, you know, every last scene that people would want to see. Um, the duels, the resolution, the, the turning to the dark side, the, the Vader reveal. Um, and again, he chose to open with an action sequence, um, and he had to he had to get through some exposition with that too. Like we talked about, Dooku having to get knocked out of the picture. Um, so, I think like by I'm not sure that the movie suffers necessarily. I just feel like it had to be this way. Like he, the choices that he had made before this point made this into. A movie that needed to be like just packed to the gills i will say though and also i mean if you're gonna make a mistake or if you're gonna err on one side do so on the on the side of the action sequences and the duels and the excitement because that's the stuff that people that are excited to see they want to get more of it's usually the, uh, the 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 criticisms that people have of this movie are not moments not like the opening sequence here it's going to be more the, you know, the scenes we're going to get later that are all nice and quiet. By the way, in the crowd that's there to meet them when they land, um, I believe Mon Mothma is in that group. And because I know Bail Organa is as well. There is a whole um, whole sequence of scenes that are, you know, or the well, the whole like precursor to the rebellion or the birthing of the rebellion, if you will, um, is left out. Um, it's left on the cutting room floor. And I think, I think that would have kind of to your point, Fredo, that would have been more interesting than Padme combing her hair. Um, you know, as far as the overall star Wars story, but it is what it is. And it gives her, and it really gives her something to do because she's a key player in the formation of the, the Alliance, the rebellion. Yeah, I mean, you see it in the second film um, that she used in opposition to um, the Chancellor gaining more and more power, even though he's from her system, um, which is kind of an interesting place for her to be in. And obviously we saw the amount of strength that she had to possess in the first movie as a ruler of a planet with her all of her people's lives at stake. Um, she goes from that to you know, combing her hair. Um, and like that critique, I totally get. Um, that wasn't necessarily something that bothered me a lot. Um, when I, when I first watched these movies, but the, I think the older I get, the more that it does bother me. Um, but I also know I loved when we had Leslie on a couple weeks back though. And she talked about how like, well, you, we all know 
women who have letting themselves get trampled over by some man, some toxic man. Yeah. And that's what he is, and that's what happens. I will also say for the plot regarding the rebellion that gets excised from this movie, in some ways it allowed for the creation of stuff like Rebels and Rogue One, where you see the the, the, the ascendancy of the rebellion against the Empire, that, that it doesn't start all in one spot, and that it slowly systems to systems, and then they come together so that it feels more organic. It feels like it's those heroes who kind of decide to unite, not just a legacy from episode three that got left to the side. I liked the visual touch of Padme and the buns. Yeah. With the hair buns. That was nice. By the way, this yeah. conversation is where we find out that she's pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, they he says... Yes, except he doesn't really mean it. He sort of means it. I don't know. There's a weird acting moment there where he's like, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, no, this is the happiest moment of my life. And it's like, uh, are you really that happy? No, you're freaked out, I think, which is normal. Which, which but... I, I, was gonna, I was just going to say, as the only guy here who's gotten that set of news three different times, uh, is it normal to just be yeah happy or is like happy with oh my god <laughs> it's um yeah it's 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 a mix it's always a mix right so grievous is on Utapau. Still, oh yeah, i love the, the music beat here and i love this the design of this planet this movie's creative as heck with some of the planets that they show us. Um, some people might think they go a little overboard, but it's like, okay, so you got this sinkhole planet, and then you get to see Felucia. Um, you get to see um, Mygito. Um, obviously, Mustafar eventually Kishik, pays yeah, off. The Wookiee planet. Yeah, Kashyyyk. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really cool planet hopping in this movie, which I really appreciate too. Yeah, and Palpatine here, Sidious, is talking about how his, he's on his way to getting a new apprentice. Mm -hmm. um, and now I think we're going to have the most controversial scene in all the movie for the, for the net nerds. I'll let you go ham on this, Aaron, because I know this is one of your favorite scenes. Oh, okay. I was, I was, yeah. Okay, look. No, <laughs> this is this is not the one I was talking about. But um, there's Padme combing her hair. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, for whatever it's worth. Um, let me ask you this. Bother no, me. Let me. Let me ask you this. Do you think? Do you yeah. think? Do you think the you do you think the Ukrainian president right now is combing his hair, saying to his wife? Oh, let's just run away from all this and let's just go back to where we met in, you know, France. And you know, it's like you want your leaders to be like, you know what, Anakin, you know, you're just going to have to chill because this is what I'm doing right now, you know. Um, but it's it was such a letdown, such a letdown. At the, at the risk of uh, going on a full defense of the white person here, 
uh, because uh, this is a common defense of white males. Uh, he is still pretty young here. Uh, so if he's getting a little distracted, I sort of get it. But okay, anyway, here's... I think, Fredo, you were going to say something. No, no, I guess uh, the only thing I was going to say, and, and this is the difficulty, This is because we're supposed to have spent two movies up to this point with these characters. We're supposed to know that they love one another. And there's a difference between expressing teenage romantic first love, which is what we saw in episode two, mm -hmm. to now expressing the more adult family uh, partners for life love that they're supposed to be having. And I think that's that's a much harder, diff, more difficult one to express because that one's not based necessarily on super highs of expressions of love. It's based on a continuum, so to speak, or, or on, a, on a regular presence. I don't know. So anyways, I know that that's, that's much harder to show. I think it's intentional, though, that they are not at that place where they should be because you hear her later on where she says don't shut me out talk to me right it's it, it's clear to me that like he's not getting it he doesn't understand what it means to be a good partner still all of these scenes that we're seeing between combing her hair and saying she's pregnant and him waking up shirtless sweating in bed all of this could have been again those bad decisions you know, that that lead him down the dark side. I just the the story it just gets hard to buy that he becomes Darth Vader. I know I keep beating that dead horse. Um, the problem really, the problem there really is, it's that you need to see a through line of connection. George tries writes one in here. It's written in here. The problem is it's not connecting emotionally because you have to buy that he's willing to do whatever it takes to save her in order to buy that he would sell his soul. So. I would, okay, so I had an English teacher in high school who thought that um, revealing Darth Vader to be a pasty old white dude um, at the end of Jedi was just totally ruined that character. So here you had the biggest bad guy on the planet, and he turns out to be Grandpa Simpson. I, I disagreed with him. Um, I still do a little bit. However, I will say I understand where he's coming from because I think that Revenge of the Sith ruined maybe not maybe ruined is too harsh of a word but really tainted the character of darth vader um from episode four and episode five because if if it was again if it was you know telling mace windu where to go and knocking over you know yoda's floaty chair or you know flipping off obi-wan then i i see darth vader that we get like in rogue one and such um but it's it's just tough to reconcile those characters. It's, but it's not that part of part of George Lucas's point that we can see his anger. To, it doesn't the, have to be a good point. I'm saying he, I I think he made a poor decision. I mean, far be it for me to to disagree with the maker. But I it just um, but it makes me wonder how many people were in the room with George Lucas saying, really. Oh no, 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 I agree. And, and I see, but I also think it's part of the dynamic. He's trying to he's trying to save or or damn uh, Anakin's character with love. He's saying love is the ultimate cause of his destruction. And that's harder to connect than say pride or resentment or feelings of inadequacy 
because he's not treated on the same level as the council should be treating him. Those are easy for us to understand because, again, those are emotions that we'll feel at work or at school or whatever. But the idea that he's felt by love is much harder. Now, I will say, I how okay, well, I, I think I think actually, um, the way Ben Solo becomes Kylo Ren makes a heck of a lot more sense than the way Anakin becomes Darth Vader. But I guess, well, I, anyway, um, I'll, I'll quit beating that that horse. Everybody knows how I feel <laughs> well, for, yeah, for the remainder this the, of this. It's I, well, I, it's the crux the crux of why this movie doesn't work for for people. Like, if you didn't like this movie, chances are it's because you didn't like the Darth Vader um, characterization, the turn, or the lead to the turn, or um, well, who and, he is here. And you know and, what? Sometimes your favorite band writes a bad song and puts it on the CD. And just because George Lucas, it came out of the pencil of George Lucas, I don't think makes it, you know, perfect. Doesn't make it good. Oh, no. even, you know, and, oh, no, not on the, so, and yeah. I don't disagree, but also, but I also do think there's, you know, again, the point is, what is he, why is he doing this? Because you're right, he could have gone with all the elements that you're saying. He consciously chose to make it. He's going to fall to the dark side because he's in love with his wife and doesn't want to lose her. It's that possessive love it's not a good you know because part of good love is saying sometimes you have to let people go and he doesn't want to do that but you know what for it all we've seen of his character but here we go uh, here we have anakin with with palpatine right now and it doesn't jive with that because palpatine is corrupting him with power so mm -hmm. those two it's you know is it is it he becomes evil because of love or is it he come evil because he wants power yes so, I mean, the, the, but those 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 two things don't work together here, you know. Eventually, Pat Palpatine uses it, you know, as a as a lever, but ultimately, you know, and I guess they they just seem to be at odds here. So, you know, the reason it well, I think that oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, and I think, and no, and I agree with you. But I think that the reason for that is because he's trying to find a way to make Anakin's fall be both tragic and something that audiences would connect. Because we're going to see him do some pretty horrific things here. So, you know, there has to be some sort of push-pull so that people still feel they can be redeemed. So, but yeah, go ahead, Dave. Well, that's, I think that's probably where I would go with it, which is that I think the push-pull is important for anybody who has no familiarity with 4, 5, and 6, or vague familiarity, um, or even a strong familiarity, because, like, again, of the rhyming nature of it. But I think, like, this idea that it could go either way for him, like, we get that sense in Return of the Jedi with Luke where... Uh man, he's force choking guards and he's like, you know, wearing black and he's like cutting people down and I just I don't know what he's gonna do and oh my gosh, he's mad at his dad and he's cut off his hand. Um and you you get that feeling that it could go the wrong way, right? And I think like what he was trying to do here, and the reason that I like the choices that he made, is that he's trying to give you the sense that it's not inevitable that he's not necessarily going to change into vader though you know he is if you've seen the other movies but like that 
feeling. He's trying to invoke that feeling in you. It's like, oh no, don't do it. Like, but see, don't turn bad. But see, that's where I think that's where the love story could have been used to for Padme to like reel him back as he's you know clawing for power and like right then at, with the Jedi Council getting all pissy with him. You know, they could have cut to a scene instead of him talking to Obi Wan here. Could have been talking, you know, ranting to Padme and. And she's her, she's the calm in his storm, you know, mm-hmm. um, that that could have been used that way. Um, however, I want to get back to something here. The Jedi Council, anybody ever wonder how holograms work? Kiati <laughs> Mundy sitting in a chair and looking to his left and looking at Yoda and looking to his right and looking at uh, Obi-Wan. It's like, how are they? What's the camera set? I want to know what the technical design of a hologram projector is. Anyway, I digress. I, By I, the way, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I wanted to focus on this scene just for a moment because this is a scene after the Council when Anakin gets put on by Palpatine's order, but the Jedi Council don't put it, give him, don't make him a master, and then they give him the assignment in secret to be a spy. And I'm almost like, you know, if you don't trust the kid, as we'll hear later on uh, when Yoda and Obi Wan leave. You know, if you don't trust him, why the heck are you giving him arguably the toughest, hardest assignment that he could ever have? And you almost go like, this is where that hubris that everybody mentions about the about the council comes back to bite them. Like, you're putting the two of them together, knowing that he's going to be conflicted about the whole deal, and you're okay with this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like a massive, giant, flashing neon sign like what what are you doing why are you doing this um and uh obi-wan in the aftermath's like oh he did not take to the assignment with with enthusiasm and it's like yeah of course not right he didn't want to do this thing that you're asking him to do that he feels is wrong first of all um and like the guy's like this is a this is an effective bit of storytelling. The guy's carrying around this guilt of having murdered someone in cold blood, and so he's going to want to try to do the right thing right now. Right? I need to make the correct choice. I need to do the good things that the Jedi Code tells me to do, and it becomes okay. kind of self fulfilling in a way that that's going to lead him directly into Palpatine's grasp um and but also i'm also thinking in terms of they they literally just you know mace just literally read him the right act before telling him to sit down shut up and mind his mind his piece and cues mm-hmm. before telling him but okay behind the back go help go go help us out it's like dude if nothing throw him a bone make give him the title of master make him feel happy uh, you know you know appease him make him feel good about this before you give him the bad news you know, as the way the story is shown to us, I do feel that his biggest mistake was to not show trust in Anakin after Anakin had come to them and told them the truth. And at that point, you'll stay at the temple. We don't trust you to come with us. And I think like that ultimately was what pushed him over. And um I don't know. I mean like it's it's kind of fun to get into these sorts of discussions because on the one hand we can say, "Oh, well this wasn't effective at all because 
I didn't buy that he wasn't, you know, like that he turned or that he should have turned the way that he did. Uh, they could have done this scene differently or, or shown us something else. But then, like, we're sitting here kind of sort of picking apart what we're seeing and, and trying to pinpoint how it happened still. And it's been, like, 20 years since this movie came out almost. Um, and we're still sort of, like, dissecting this and talking about, like, well, was it love? Was hey, it was it power? There's, there's was it George this Lucas moment? Cameo was right it here. this other moment? Sorry. Sorry, yeah, George Lucas cameo with his daughter. Anyway, yep. Because we're going into well, this, this is, creepy again. Opera. This is yeah. arguably the best scene of the turn, right? Coming up here, where we're at the mm-hmm. opera with with the music that sounds like it's from Eyes Wide Shut. But anyway, the Monk Calamari <laughs> Opera. <laughs> uh, the the people who make Star Wars were uh, so impressed with this scene that they recycled it in. Uh, uh, the rise of Skywalker. So, no, it, well, of course. Okay, so the scene. If you're just listening right now, obviously, this is when uh, Palpatine is going to start telling uh, old Sith stories. We start learning about Darth Plagueis um, and how he was able to cheat death, and you know, and then his apprentice killed him. Which, you know, Palpatine was Darth Plagueis's, you know, apprentice. Uh, but uh, but yeah. So what what do you what do you think? Do you remember watching this in the theater the first time you hear about Darth Plagueis? Um, did you, or you know, or what did you think about the scene? Do you, did you think he was telling the truth, or do you think he was low to bunk? Everybody said you know all Star Wars villains tell the truth. So I don't know. Yeah, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, same thing here. I think it was, you know, the 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 catch is he's not being a hundred percent honest because he's telling the story of his master and how he killed him. So that's the bit of truth that does he doesn't share. But everything else is probably hundred percent factual, which is kind of the way that evil works is that it could, you know it coerces by with the truth. It twists with love. So and again this. I, I, you know, I guess I can. Uh, Palpatine's looking for any sort of in to manipulate and and you know win him over. I get it, and it's he's now using, you know, he thought power. I suppose would would be it, and so he gets him on the Jedi Council, and then um, now it's going to be the whole Padme thing, you know. Um, but Palpatine, I just love the character. I just love the character. Just how, just, I mean, he's he's the guy that, you know, you work with that you just, there's something about him. He's he's nice, but it's like, so I don't trust him some way. I, I don't know. Just a great character, I think. I was going to say that this is really, if, if this movie is anybody's movie, it is totally Ian McDermott. He puts on his best performance start to finish he's you know everything hinges on him nailing the character of Palpatine and being both you know the madman that we'll see later on but also the seducer here uh, the corrupter and he nails it perfectly it's it's probably easy for him to do this kind of stuff given his theater uh, background but still it's just 
I mean, we're literally one of the best scenes is two guys sitting and him monologuing and it works. Yeah, this is like the clerk scene of Star Wars where yeah, right. it's just like two people monologuing and it's just uh it's very good. Um the uh the line um is it possible to learn that power not from a Jedi? Um I think they use that in the trailers. Um it was just um chef's kiss perfection um like this is where this is where it the stuff hits the fan um and and the everything here uh, as far as when people talk about the the faults of this film i i I rarely hear anybody complain about any of this and by the way the line that you know the the dark side of the force is a pathways to what many people consider to be unnatural i mean i i love that line the way he delivers it you know mm-hmm. just the way he delivers it and and actually it's funny because you said they re they rehashed it for uh rise of skywalker and that bothered me in rise of skywalker that he just they it was literally line for line it's like i don't know you know what's interesting like i just thought though like he's a copy of himself so naturally he would be copying himself maybe i don't know <laughs> retcon dave there we go <laughs> yeah um, yeah but it's a good it's a good way to explain it maybe maybe he saw all of it of himself and go okay i'm supposed to be sound cackling here and i'm supposed to be throwing <laughs> one-liners here and this lightning. is the point where I yeah <laughs> way, I love it. here's the thing we finally get to see Kahik, which we have been promised since uh originally it was supposed to be return of the jedi's big battle yeah, but Before we, it changed to Andor. We saw Kashyyyk on uh, the holiday special. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Does that I don't, count? I don't, I, I don't, okay, so, oh, by the way, okay, so we got Chewbacca here. And I just saw something, um, actually, in my news feed, um, this fan theory that's going through that um, episode four, Obi-Wan goes to talk to Chewbacca before he goes to talk to Han. And mm-hmm. given the fact that Chewbacca is, you know, shoulder to shoulder with Yoda through this whole movie, and do you think Chewbacca was already a rebel um, spy asset, whatever, in episode four? Because he saw, he knew everything that went down in episode three so possibly but then we've also seen how where he, where he was found with by Han. yeah but i'm just saying he he could still be maybe that's what got him in imperial prison you know and in the pit could, could very well be that's that's part of the dynamic that's well, what's this, interesting it's, yeah and this stuff with infus nest um may have been impactful for him more so than even han um enough to convince him to want to get involved in some small way because we don't putting him in this movie makes it makes that whole scene where han says he doesn't believe in the force just uh, how does chewbacca even begin to (laughs) you know just sit here and let him say it because it's like 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 if we all seen the meme he's like dude i've i've seen jedi i've seen all this stuff happen you know what do you what do you mean this isn't uh, this isn't possible? Um, I don't want to yell. 
Yeah, Tarzan yells great. I love it. Um, but I I do think too like there's something there maybe like just this idea that like Han like Han by the by episode four something happens to him like he's completely jaded he is not that way at the end of solo so like we still haven't gotten the story of how han becomes like completely disillusioned yeah but that doesn't explain oh uh, yeah like yeah i mean it's like i do like the theory that maybe chewbacca is already and maybe han doesn't know that he's a rebel informant mm-hmm. doing something on the side that's kind of interesting um, I love this little scene between Ewan and um, Hayden here. Um, and we haven't really talked about Ewan yet, even though part of the reason we're watching this movie is because uh, the Obi-Wan series is coming up. Um, I think he does a really wonderful job here of sort of echoing what um, uh, he got from Qui-Gon in the first movie which was, you know, this little pep talk. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to tell you that I appreciate you. And um, I'm going to sort of prepare you to, to go out on your own. And and Obi-Wan's doing that there um, in his own way. Um, and it's really kind of lovely to see. Uh, and, and Ewan just well, it's, sort it's of one continues... Last it's one last reminder that they are brothers and friends before, mm-hmm. because the next time they see each other, they're going to be trying to kill each other. Yep. So. It, it connects, it connects back to the little five minute scene and on Tatooine where, uh, Alec Guinness is telling, uh, Luke, uh, old Ben's telling Luke that, uh, you know, he was a good friend. Yeah. You know, we don't, you know, we've gotten to see very little of it throughout the course of the, this trilogy. So it's important, I think, that we see that they parted on good terms. And if also in a bit of uh, melancholic, almost tragic terms, because I-, I always wondered if Obi-Wan knew what was going through Anakin's head, if he knew everything that he was involved in, if he knew about him and Batman, would he have played it differently? Would he have tried to you know, be a stickler for the rules or would he have tried to help him and find a way to help his friend in some kind of way? And that's one of the strategies that you know, the doors that are not taken, you know, in terms of life and stories. It's that, you know, had Obi-Wan known, maybe it's this, you know, turns out differently. I also like the don't ask, don't tell sort of relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin, where it's like Obi-Wan knows that they're together um, and and yet doesn't really well, and ask they, him about it or force him to reveal it. They also kind of hit on that in the Clone Wars. Uh, yeah. The last four episodes. Um, I always got that vibe, though, from the last half of this movie that he knew. That, like, why would you think to go see Padme and stow aboard your ship unless you know? You know, I, it's like, yeah, he, he knew before that moment. And the other thing is, because we've seen, you know, Clone Wars makes a good comparison between the relationship between Obi-Wan and uh, Satine and Anakin and Padme, meaning, you know, that he was also in a romantic relationship with somebody equally talented, equally capable, 
but that that unfortunately they chose their duties and eventually she did die because of it um so he's you know he they went the opposite way of where anakin and padme were where they went nope uh we're gonna go with where our hearts tell us and to heck with the galaxy so the uh guy from Utapau here it's the same we talked about it a couple weeks ago the same species as the sith inquisitor or the grand inquisitor which i only mm-hmm. learned about like about a month ago um to find kind of interesting um i will say coming up here is i'm, I'm, a, I'm old man aaron's going to come up here again i do not mind the chase between uh obi-wan and grievous I really mind it being on the back of a giant iguana. <laughs> because it was goofy and it wasn't really well done. It was it was kind of, it kind of looked Harry Potterish to me. I mean, they just should have put him on some sort of speeder. You know, I would have even probably taken a a space Vespa, you know, um over the big lizard. Um, I winced when I saw that he was going to do that. And I thought, Oh no, because the, the effects at the end of attack of the clones were some of the worst effects I've ever seen. Um, when like Anakin's like trying to ride the back of the thing and it, it just, it all looks super fake. Um, I will say that the three years saw significant improvements. So I was sort of pleasantly, um satisfied with this in comparison um but still it yeah i i had a i had a real similar moment where i was like oh oh no oh no we're having this happen and then i was like oh well that's not quite as bad here's here's my one issue with the big lizard here if he's trying to be incognito if he's trying to be <laughs> hide or be sneaky there is no way to be sneaking with this big sucker, you know, big sucker that's making all these noise. Like, you know, if you're trying, if you're trying to be Heidi, you know, be the same sneaky that you sneak that you saw in episode two. This is not the way. Caca, caca. It's, it's just, just dumb. Again, put. I mean, put like I said, put him on a speeder, you know, or have the same. I didn't really even like Grievous's wheelie bike, but just put him on one of those. So, you know, it's so it goes, you know, kind of mirrors Jedi when, you know, Luke's on a speeder bike and the biker scouts are on a speeder bike. It's the, the yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. All right. So this is a nice bit of foreshadowing, though, where he tells the separatist leaders to go to Mustafar. And you're like, none of these people are coming back alive. <laughs> I mean, I I know enough about the Lord to know that some some stuff's about to go down on Mustafar. Uh, like well, this is a I mean, bad situation a, for these a, guys. That's a really good point, Dave. Is that this is kind of the opposite of you know Solo? One of my problems with Solo is like I know everybody is getting out of this. You know, everybody's going to be fine and some of these things. But here in this movie, you know, only a couple people are getting out of this. <laughs> the only people who are getting out of this movie are um, Obi Wan, Anakin, and Yoda, and Bale. I suppose. Really, those are the those are the main four that are, and I guess Palpatine, sure. But everybody else is gonna gonna buy it somehow, and it that becomes interesting. It's like, how are we gonna how are we gonna lose this one? Who's gonna how's this one gonna go? 
Um, yeah, yeah, and this is really when it starts kicking into overdrive. Um, well, like this this sequence, like as impressive as Grievous looks here with the four lightsabers, I'm like, you're toast, buddy. Obi Wan's gonna also, take you down. <laughs> and also, just from the standpoint of, I mean, it's it's a very fun duel. This is you know one of the few things that you know, I wish that the prequels had leaned into because we had the duel between. Qui-Gon, Maul, and Obi-Wan. And then we have this one. And then the rest are very much traditional human-on-human lightsaber dual fencing. So I wish we had gotten more more of this stuff where it's just like weird and wacky and completely unique. Just because it would have been interesting to see that. I also think in terms of the Separatist leaders, it's like at some point you almost wish like one of these guys got a clue that, okay, we may be starting to become disposable. But you never get enough time with them to know whether or not they even realize that they've lost. And again, that goes all back to Palpatine's plans that nobody knows they're they're kaput until it's done. So uh, can I can I be? Uh, the, I've always wondered this in some of these in some of these movies. It's like, do you think there are decisions made because the people who are designing the video game want certain things? <laughs> For example, the buzz droids in the opening, you know, in the opening uh, sequence, the let's have Grievous like with four lightsabers, because that'd be a really bad boss at the end of, you know, this level. And oh, oh, the, the whole sell more toys uh, thing, you know, it's like uh, we've got to sell more toys. So here is another character, kids. And oh, look, here's the wheel uh, wheelie bike thing. And. You gotta buy the wheelie bike thing. And by the way, and, I don't uh, think I needed to see Grievous running around like a spider either, but that's okay. I mean, I just I feel like okay, so uh, George is sort of the victim of his own ambition at times. I would say it's like, oh, I'm gonna put in this lizard. It's like, well, why did you choose to put in the lizard? It's like, well, because I can. The technology will allow me to do it. And it's like, well. Maybe not, maybe, but maybe it's not the best choice. And this is when you your argument of maybe he's surrounded by too many yes men begins to take hold because it's it's like, yeah, you probably could have done without the lizard and the and the wheelie bike and and grievous walking on all fours. But it's like um he does it because he thinks that he can and he thinks it would be a, a unique visual. And um on, on the one hand, I respect him sort of pushing the envelope, but I also feel like th- that um, at times he should be told no. <laughs> well, and here, just just for example, and this is where this is a movie that's only about two hours, two hours, two and a half hours thereabouts, maybe a bit under, but you're going to see Anakin just go run back and forth between the Jedi Temple and Palpatine's office, delivering a message that could have been done via hologram because they're trying to put you know kind of speed up the process now of creating the confrontation between grievous i mean between Sidious and the jedi council the jedi council by the way that little hologram session again in the clone wars the final season they you know ahsoka ends up like joining that skype call right after anakin leaves the room i just find that really cool how they splice those together um 
Now Anakin has come to the Chancellor's office. I mean, and to your point, Fredo, we're half we're about halfway through the movie, and it feels like we're building towards the climax here. I mean, the way that Obi-Wan has engaged with Grievous and what we were talking about earlier with the stakes. We know people are going to be dying. The Separatists are on Mustafar. Um, He's confronting Palpatine. Anakin is. Um, You are already getting a sense of, oh, gosh, we've got momentum here. Things are really starting to happen. And we're not even an hour. We're like over an hour away from the end of the movie. Um and so, like, this is what I was talking about earlier when I'm like, this movie was jam-packed with stuff. And it was like, like, the last half of this movie is all climax. So let's, uh, let's play what if. What if things really turned south here? Who do you think would have won in the fight? Uh, Palpatine or Anakin? My money's on Palpy. Yeah, because like that little line that he gives where he says Darth Vader will be more powerful than either of us. It's like he's still not at his full potential, Anakin. Um, And he acknowledges that. And and again, I think like the idea is that he will become the most powerful until he gets sliced in half by Obi-Wan. but yeah, I, I would take Palps in the fight. Yeah, he, here. he certainly doesn't. He certainly does not seem threatened. He can tell that, you know, that Anakin's onto him, and he he knows that he has the upper hand. The little oh, smile. Yeah, the smile. Right. Yeah, that's from certain death. <laughs> and part of me wonders. I mean, he's not because because part of what I what I realize is, yeah, use my knowledge. I beg you is that he is very much playing into what he knows of Anakin. He's playing on his emotions. He's playing on his love. He's playing on his mistrust. And would he have told them if all that he's telling them if he hadn't led them down the garden path? And you I see, guess- like, even now... Oh yeah, I was just gonna say like he's he says a life of conscience, and I always think that it's interesting turn of phrase because the the Jedi don't have conscience. It's like no, they're so beholden to their way of doing things. It's all reactionary for them. They don't consider things. By they the don't way, sit and think. I also like how Palpatine's voice changes in this moment to to the Emperor. Basically, you know, it gives you focus, makes you power. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he gets that spitty growly emperor voice i'm sorry to interrupt you Dave. Mm-hmm. that was yeah no i agree no, he's by the way and this is where also this is where also we're having anakin kill dooku at the start also helps him because he saw how much doubt that put into anakin's conscience it's like oh you're supposed to be a jedi jedi don't kill jedi don't seek revenge you know and the other all of a sudden you're confronted with the ultimate villain or the ultimate enemy and Instead of being like, nope, I'm just going to do what I've done so many other times during the Clone Wars. I'm just going to run you through and solve the problem. He's full of doubt because he doesn't know what to do because he's listened to Palpatine for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's twofold, right? It's really about that. that The fact that this is a friend of his who's been in his ear for, you know, 20 years. Um, But 
it's also a convenient thing for him that he recently had a slip up and doesn't want to do it again. So the, we... the fight, yeah, the fight between Obi-Wan and Grievous, I can't believe he tries yet to like throw fisticuffs against a robot, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like kicks him at one point and breaks his own leg and almost. Yeah, it's just, so, come on. So the, the, you know, at the beginning of their fight when he, you know, jumps down, he says, hello there. You know, it's like, that was kind of cute, but I felt it was kind of over the top-ish. But the one, the, the line that I really dug yeah, go and kick the shin of a robot. Yeah, it's really smart. The the one line that I really loved here was after the use he uses the blaster to kill Grievous, which first of all was very interesting that Obi Wan that's how he takes out Grievous is with a blaster. But I just love he just says, How uncivilized. And that was that was a cute line. That was a cute mm-hmm. line. It's not a callback to something we know that he's there was some feeling that we've ever been expressed. And if Grievous's death didn't give little kids nightmares, I don't know what would. But anyway, <laughs> well, he was a robot, right? I mean, like, yeah, he's just a robot. That's fine. But then you see like his guts like burning inside of him. There's fire <laughs> coming out of his eye holes and everything. Yeah. Oh. Foreshadowing. We're headed to Mustafar soon. I thought you were going to say foreshadowing. Oh, never mind. Um, There's a lot of the politics in this movie that back in, you know, 20, between 2016 and 2020, I sometimes wondered if we were going to be living that in real life. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I'll get away from that. Um, well, it, I th- you know, I, that was the lesson he wanted to to touch on, George, which was just like, like most times you when you see the great republic fall, it's from within and from corruption from rather a- than autocracy. external. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not from external forces. It's from these internal forces that just corrupt the heck out of everything and tear it down from the inside out. And. Good I, Lord. Say, I wish we would have gotten more Mace Windu other than Mace Windu at the office. I mean, I liked Mace Windu in the arena in episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like him, what him, the things he does in this movie. I, I wish we would have gotten even more of Mace Windu. Because um, I think that seems to be a complex character that, you know. Has... Did you see that Samuel L. Jackson was actually interviewed and he said, yeah, I've heard that they want me to bring me back. I'm like, please, George, want to bring me back? Well, yeah, he he reached out to Bryce Dallas Howard, right? And uh, exactly, yeah, and so like he's talking to to her about like, hey, bring me back, and and she's thinking about it. Maybe I don't know. Okay, so really? uh, this sequence is made by the music, and we're not going to be sitting here humming the music, but. Um, it's just so haunting. Um, and, I, and I think this is one of the examples of how um, Star Wars has lived and died by the music of John Williams. Mm-hmm. Because here you got a scene of no dialogue, two people staring out of windows across miles of city, looking at one another. 
and you understand everything that's playing between them in terms of their emotional state, what they're thinking about, what's been troubling them. And again, this is the beauty in Star Wars is that there's no dialogue and we're getting all that information because of what's on screen and the tone that the music is getting us with. He could have like made so many, like this sort of, it could have been so easy to screw this part up, right? Like, oh, let me let me put the two of them in a room together and have them bounce, you know, terrible George Lucas dialogue off of one another. But no, it's like, no, let's lean into our strengths. I'm a visual storyteller. Let's and I have John Williams sitting here next to me. Let's let the music and the pictures tell the story. Um, and I think it works really beautifully. Uh, I'm going to go back over to the horse and beat it here for a little bit because I, here again, I want to say um, with the whole Padme thing, I wish it would have also been Anakin's fear of letting her down and, you know, becoming somebody, something that she didn't think he was rather than worried about her dying. I don't know. But let's okay, so let's get into this uh this battle here. Um Palpatine versus, you know, the Keystone the Jedi Council. All right. So Sam brought <laughs> Sam Jackson brought three Jedi with him. What are you doing? <laughs> and they they all get I mean <laughs> they get murdered in like they'll two just, seconds. They'll just stand there like Batman villains. You know? Yeah. It's like yeah. I don't uh, um, uh, yeah, no, this isn't the best uh, direction here with the, the way that well, it's... But I know that he's trying to convey that Sidious is, like, like unstoppable. Powerful. Yeah, powerful. You can't, you can't take him down. But again, like, the hubris of the Jedi. Like, you're only going to bring four people in to apprehend the greatest threat of the entire galaxy. And, and four maybe, Jedi only. He, like, yeah. not even a senator, not called Bell Organa. Like, you're about to assume command or control of the galaxy, and you don't think, you know, we might want to bring some other representatives of the government to say, hey, this guy, he needs to concede his powers or he needs to be arrested. And, does, again, doesn't cross to them in their hubris that their actions might be perceived as, as the wrong ones. By the way, it's famous story that it's famously known that uh, Ian McDermott hated the lightsaber duels. He found them, you know, he did not enjoy doing them at all, which is why you get a lot of this, um, uh, the way that this is cut. Yeah, with close-ups and him snarling and... Uh, so, uh, here, okay, so I know they obviously, you know, because he's going to start shooting some force lightning here in a minute, and it's going to start getting reflected onto him because we needed to explain how the Emperor looked all old and crap, you know, like, you know, 15 years later. Do you uh, care do, about do, that? Well, but, I mean, one do, way or the other? Well, I mean, I don't, but I'm just wondering. Yeah. I'm, but here again, it gets into, like, why Why did we need that? Because I would have been fine yeah. with, you know, it's like the guy, you know, it's it's kind of like one of my wife's uh, um, stories from, you know, she was teaching and her students found out how old she was and, and they couldn't believe this. They said, you don't look that old. And one of the guys says, well, that's because, you know, you don't look old when you're not a hateful, you know, B word. Yeah. And so... I, I guess I didn't. I didn't need this. And again, um, 
but it doesn't it doesn't ruin it for me. But again, here's a little another little nuance here. Instead of slicing off Mace Windu's arm because I need him to help me save Padme, it's like, you know what, Mace, I'm sick of your crap. You have been pushing people around too much and trying to influence your own save so off with your arm. That's a Darth Vader thing to do. You know? And I'm not sure he doesn't like say that. But I'm I always felt like that was part of it. Right? Like this the reason Mace is the person here confronting no, Palpatine Anakin, Anakin is because is pretty... he's the guy that came down on Anakin the hardest. Anakin's just he he says no, I need him. And he's so right. he's he's acting he's acting selfishly, so I get that. But I, I wish it would have been a little bit more I'm sick of your crap. Um, now, how about this? Mace Windu goes flying here pretty soon, but we never see him die. Do you think Mace Windu is still alive? Will we still find out that he's the one that saved Baby Yoda from the Jedi Temple? Because I'm not sure that would be number one on his list after, <laughs> after just being no, 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 not not to go find baby yoda but he hits the <laughs> ground and it's like oh crap's going down i gotta get to the jedi temple and warn people and that's when the, five, the, five, kind of... the 500 501st are all you know in there so he grabs whatever he can and hits the road um hey we've all played the video games where you can force heal yourself and it's also part of Star Wars lore now that you can use the force to heal. So I still think that that is a possibility that we're going to get a little bit of a flashback and it's going to be Mace Windu coming to and then going, I got to get to the temple. It is not currently the plan because Sam is publicly doesn't have to be sam jackson it can <laughs> yeah, be no, sam jackson i mean they they made they made mark hamill look like 50 years younger so but the, but dude is out here like publicly campaigning to be pulled back into the universe so uh he is not currently part of the universe i feel confident in saying um so i yeah i don't think i buy that but and i never really thought like when people were like oh he might still be alive i'm like eh yeah, no, might be. He uh, got I, mean, and... I never put. I never say never because they. Cut. Yeah. I mean, so. they cut Darth Maul in half, and the dude came back, and, yeah. and that, he was cut happy because George See? knew that if he didn't do that, people would suspect he'd come back. So, uh, the, okay, so. Uh, Palpatine so you could see up, him back. Palpatine coming up with uh, Anakin's new name reminded me of when I got my drumline nickname in in college. Uh, section leader came up to me and said you need a nickname don't you i was like yeah and he said let's see swoboda boda bodhisattva like all right i said what is that he said well it's a stage of consciousness just below nirvana or it's a really good steely dance song and that's just the way it's he just goes you will be known as your delta tau pledge name is pinto Why? Why not? <laughs> yeah, he's Pinto. I mean, yeah. Vader is Pinto. So, all right. So let's talk about let's talk about this here. Um, when you first saw Revenge of the Sith, uh, did you what did you think um, about the whole idea of Order sixty six? Well, I liked that. And before we get to that, I thought I'm it was okay. a genius idea. 
I will say right before this, though, when he he says, I pledge myself to your teachings, right? That was like the one part of the turn that I was always like, really? Like, really? We're really ready to do that? Like, you were just conflicted a moment ago. Yeah, and, and now you're all in. And yeah. now you're like, I pledge myself. It's like, yeah, we're going to do that. Anyway, uh, Order 66 is um is great um it's a really smart idea i think um and it really sort of underscores like what the heck was going on with the clones at the very beginning like in attack of the clones like why did he have a clone army made what's going on here like why are the jedi just suddenly going with it um and I'm sure you know, you that get when, this payoff here. I'm sure that when he sat down to write it, it's like, what are the things, what are the big dots we need to connect? We need to have all the Jedi gone by the end of the third movie. You know, for all intents and purposes. So how are we going to do that? You know, uh, without creating another big space laser. Um, yeah, no, I, I dug it. Um, thought it was... And I, and I also like since how we've seen it in different, you know iterations in yeah bad batch and clone wars you know um uh if you play jedi fallen order you actually play through order 66 as the uh, calcastus as you're trying to get away and your master who's uh trying to protect you and it's again they they, they always do lucas uh, lucas arts and all the people who grew up with this prequels they know that this order 66 hits them in the emotional fields and they find ways to make it hurt which is what it should. This should, this is a seminal moment. It's supposed to feel like a big old Greek tragedy come to life. Uh, a lot of the combat sequences, they're just showing some different, uh, you know, battle uh, sequences here. And a lot of this stuff, they, they did a better job with over the previous films. Um, I, I think I remember reading that they brought in like mil ex-military to like, act out a lot of these sorts of scenes with the clones, you know, running around, gunning people down and stuff. It does like, play a little bit more realistic. And we know that from the Clone Wars that there's been several generations of clones now involved. This isn't even the first generation that we saw in episode two. So we know that they've gotten better, they've gotten smarter, they've instructed better in terms of what they're planning to know, what they're needing them to do for the Clone Wars. And here it comes, Order 66. And I was more worried that the lizard was going to die. I'm glad the <laughs> lizard made it out. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is a, yeah. This is, I mean, this is a powerful sequence. Um, the, the reason that this, um, that I know that this works as well as it does, it and, and at the time I, I had a visceral emotional reaction to all of this, is when we get to the end of it and you see Yoda. Yeah. And like, I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, they're going to off Yoda. And I'm like completely, you know, oblivious to the fact that I know that he survives this movie, but I'm like, holy crap, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to kill Yoda. And like, I had forgotten because it was so engrossing. Like, Again, a lot of these characters you don't get to know very well, and I'd say that that's a fair, fair criticism and, and a failing 
Um, but they lead it off with Obi Wan, and you're like, oh gosh. And now you know some some of these characters we we've grown attached to more than others through summer reading and things like that. Um, but uh, gosh, like Dokun right there. Yeah. No, and, and it's then, and it's and it's a really excellently executed uh, sequence, which again leans strongly on the music, leans strongly on the visuals. We know what we're seeing, we know how we're connecting with it. This is not this is meant to connect with us as much emotionally as it is intellectually. That's why that little moment with Yoda dropping his staff and just reaching for his heart just kind of connects with me because I go, well, of course they're all tied through the force. They would know one another. Of course, he would feel all these deaths all over the galaxy. So, so this is the awesome part when you know they are going to try to off Yoda, and he's one step ahead of them. It's just, it's this moment of relief and catharsis because you you've been watching this unfold, and then boom! But you know, good guys get a moment back. Yoda clenching his chest. I mean, that obviously you know harkens back to Episode Four when Obi Wan reacts to Alderaan being destroyed. But also, I like how they played it in Episode Seven when Han is killed and Leia feeling that loss. Um, yeah, because the Force is all about energy and it's all about that emotional connection. So you feel that even if you're not there. And how about this scene when you saw it in the theater of? of Anakin firing up his lightsaber with a bunch of little kids. That was like, holy well, cow. We're going there? <laughs> well, um, I mean, again, he's the villain. He's the ultimate bad guy. And, and that you don't little, get more bad than this. And the kid giving that little flinch when the lightsaber fires mm -hmm. up is still it's just like, oh. Um, and here comes... Uh, but again, and, and it, and here comes Bail Organa, and again, the point is, he's trying to figure out just what the heck just happened, and goes back to the hubris and the failings of the Jedi, where you go like, uh, you guys should have at least kept this guy informed of what the yeah. heck was going on. Yeah. You know, at least on, on, they have communicators, they have you know holograms, they have all this stuff, but it doesn't occur to them in the five-minute you know, shuttle ride to go, hey, this is what we found out, this is what we're going to do, in case anything goes wrong, you're, you're a backup. And then he's, you know, he gets to sit front row seat to the uh, Jedi Purge without any idea what the heck is going on. There's George Lucas's son, yep. Jet. Uh, little Jet. Anyway, why, do, why, are they, why are they trying to, well, like, don't worry about him, let him go. I'm like, okay. That, yeah. that's, that no, doesn't seem odd to me. Their orders were to get Jedi, not to kill a senator. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that, that was kind of weird. Um, I mean, like, you've cemented this man's stance uh, against the current government. Um, like, he was already opposed to a lot of what was going on, and now that moment was enough to uh, get him to fully commit. Um so I guess from that perspective, it's kind of a nice moment to to in terms of laying the groundwork for the rebellion. Do you think it should have been Chewbacca, or do you think it just should have been another Wookiee, just Tarful and somebody else? 
You think seemed oddly you... coincidental to me. Yeah. But... Yeah, it was... it's coincidental, but it's also it's also a bit of a homage, and it's the only time you really, you know, at this when you were expecting that this was going to be the last movie, so you're like, okay, if this is the last we're going to see, at least, you know, we get to say goodbye, and uh, it's a good fend off, and, and again, it it doesn't detract, not as much as uh, Bail Organa still having the same ship eighteen years later detracts, <laughs> and the same captain, it's same chauffeur. Hey, you know that ship makes it back in the uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, yeah, yeah. Those are, those are strong ships. Ship. <laughs> Commander Cody. Oh, by the way, and I will give props to George in this regard. I love the fact that, because he had us see the chase leading to uh, Grievous's ship earlier. And you think, okay, that's what that's there for. And it doesn't come back till you see Obi-Wan jump on it and you go, oh, that's how he's getting away from them. And you're like, that's a clever way. Because that's not registered with the uh, with the Republic. They're not expecting it. They don't know it's there. So it makes perfect sense. That's how you get out. Which presumably, again, was what Grievous was trying to achieve when exactly yeah when they landed there in the first place and the, their little final duel was grievous was trying you, to get away do you like, think he still has that ship in the series like if like if obi-wan's meant to go off world after this uh during in the upcoming series do you think that ship's buried somewhere in the tatooine desert it might be because by the end of um by the end of this, you know, he has to get back on Tatooine. And this ship has been docked with Bale's ship. Yeah. So, yeah. Might be or, the same ship. Or, or the, you know, Bale's ship could have just landed on Tatooine as well. Um, mm. Yeah, he is. That's a fun, it's a fun idea, though. Like, we might see that ship again in a few weeks. I don't know. Here uh, now, I'm starting to see you know Anakin as as Darth Vader here. I mean he's very and he's uh, you know he just slaughtered a bunch of children, and he's trying to make lovey dovey with his you know with his wife is very Charles Starkweather ish you know uh, sorry that's some <laughs> Nebraska lore for you but uh... have faith my love yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very much the kind of narcissistic and dangerous behavior that a sociopath would engage in now, look it doesn't matter how many younglings i just slaughtered our love will last this it's like dude right come back what did you just say <laughs> look there's no room for r2 in that ship no room <laughs> i think they remove his head and like the rest of his body like goes somewhere else right there's no room for r2 in that ship yeah drives me bonkers anyway <laughs> by the way you're gonna get to see like okay Tripia says he feels so helpless here and uh you see uh padme kind of starting having a moment here do you think it's beginning to dawn on her that this might not end up working out between them at this point 
Yeah, I mean, like, when she is, like, losing it earlier, um, when the Jedi Temple uh, is going up in flames, I always sort of read that as, as being, like, she's not sure of what's going on fully. Like, not just that, like, oh, I'm worried for my husband and for these other people, but also... This is this is some hanky stuff. Um, I'm not sh- quite sure where where we're going right now. So how'd you guys? Sorry, I'm totally different thing. Just seeing Yoda walking the halls here. How'd you how'd you guys feel in episode two and three with, um, especially maybe episode three with uh, CGI Yoda versus puppet Yoda? Huge improvement. Yeah, three years between two and three really show in terms of technology. I mean. Particularly in his movements, like you can kind of see where this character will end up being the puppet in episode five, uh, even if it's still not the same, just because, again, there's a difference of years. But uh, I think this one gets it better, even though you can clearly tell it's a CGI character. And here we are on Mustafar, which, kids, is the same planet as the beginning of rise of skywalker where it has trees um so yeah um got to do some reading to understand how that came to be but yeah whatever (laughs) um there's different parts of the planet aaron like some parts no all star wars parents are uh, the planets are one biome oh yeah okay sorry um and piloting uh, this ship is, uh, I believe, um, the guy who played Boba Fett. Yeah. Mark Morrison or uh, uh, Josh Bullock? No, Jeremy Bullock. Jeremy Bullock. Yeah, he's the, Jeremy he's Bullock. The, he's the not, not, the, the not the former. Yeah, Josh Bullock's a former Nebraska Saints player, yeah. TV. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it's Jeremy Bullock uh, piloting um, Bale's ship. And coming up here, I absolutely adore Obi-Wan and Yoda, a wampin' and a whalin'. Um, up, oh, that's coming later. Sorry, we're going back to Mustafar. Um, we got a little foreshadowing here where he uh, he's like, oh, yes, I am here to take care of them. Yeah, he will, <laughs> he will take care of you. Yes, I, I love that, that line was really good. <laughs> How important is it that he tells R2 to stay with the ship? Oh, I think it's very important, right? Well, I, I say mean, that's why knows. that's why R2 wouldn't stay with the ship like Luke told him to because last time when Anakin told him to stay with the ship, then bad things happened. So, um it's kind of an interesting little uh little tidbit there. Oh yeah, like and R2 we know is the eyes and ears of everyone. He's the surrogate He's and seeing everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and Anakin did not want him seeing what's about to unfold. By the way, we know from the Clone Wars that Vader, I mean that Anakin knows Viceroy's gun rate. And it strikes me weird that at this point he's not like, wait a minute, Anakin Skywalker, you're Lord Vader. Oh, well, here's the fight, though, that yeah. Aaron was talking about where Yoda flings his lightsaber through a 
clone's chest. And... Yoda and Obi Wan, a whomping and a whooping. Um, but yeah, a lot going on here. Um, again, I like the score during this sequence when we watch him deliver uh, Palpatine deliver his speech and Anakin mow down the separatists um it's it's powerful but i guess i guess we have a moment with oh who could have done this first and this is again good acting from you and um for prequel fans like this has to be such a happy time like to get the obi-wan series yeah i mean listening to some other podcasts that grew up with the prequels they are just overjoyed um uh, okay so it's clear yoda knows everything now something i mean he he knows anakin is behind it he knows everything that is going on and it just shows how much ahead of the game he was as far as being a jedi than everybody else on the council And we see that reinforced in the Clone Wars when, yeah. um, you know, he's doing some of these things with the with the nature of the Force that a lot of the other Jedi aren't. By the way, I was going to say, I do find it intriguing that, um, well, not intriguing, but it was fun to see that, okay, they were killed by a lightsaber. Who could have done this? And then the cut to, you know, Anakin using his lightsaber destroyed the Separatist leadership. And then uh, you get that moment with the bright yellow eyes of Lord Vader. And it's it always makes me wonder, it's like, surprising we didn't get to see more of that, you know, throughout um, what's left of this movie. Because next time you see him, you see him all tearful and sad about what he's done. That was a really interesting design choice to give him the eyes that, like, Darth Maul had. Um because like that wasn't a thing but now everybody thinks it's a thing by the way it's like oh yeah i mean the minute that you see in a trailer just the hint of non-white eyes and oh they got sith eyes and it's like that that's yeah you're right it's not a thing (laughs) i mean it was it was a darth maul thing and then yeah that it was an interesting choice um here because you only see it once Mm -hmm. it's just once it's, it's meant to highlight that idea of his descent to the dark side. And by the way, this uh, where, what Obi-Wan's messing with now, that was originally what was supposed to happen in Episode Nine. They were supposed to go to Coruscant and um, reconfigure that signal or something, right? Wasn't that the original plot point? So. It was supposed to be, if I believe, Finn and Rose going in there to uh, reconfigure the signal uh to call to people to join the resistance i was always confused by uh, coming up here in a minute when you got palpatine um and anakin right there in the jedi so did palpatine come to the temple yeah yeah i know he he eventually makes the temple his like office you know in the books and everything but um that was just uh, yeah i just yeah i figured he he wouldn't trust him fully at this point right 
sure. you know I'm check it's like, i'm gonna yeah double check your work and make sure you did okay in college football terms this is like when uh you know a school rushes the field so he's rushing the field right now to celebrate especially when it's the field of your opponent you know here talking about bad uh bad decisions yoda might be right that obi-wan's not might not be powerful enough to beat palpatine but to send him to take out even when especially when obi-wan says i can't he's my brother then yoda at that point should have said all right yeah okay you take the old guy i'll take this one then because we can't i mean he's got to be taken out so but then that would mess up everything but you know so um and that's part that's part and that's one of the trappings that the prequels had they had to fit what we knew had come before yeah meaning luke and i mean i mean obi-wan and anakin fought at some point which is what led to him becoming vader we need to see that happen and you know this is what's going to, we're being led to that point I didn't like the line "killing younglings." Let's just say "killing children." children. Yeah. yeah, killing younglings. <laughs> <laughs> it was putting back the younglings. <laughs> it's like this, you know. This scene needs gravitas and seriousness. We don't need to talk about uh, midi chlorines and younglings and you know Star Wars ease, but. Uh, but it kind of goes back to the same point I was saying earlier. George is trying to have his cake and eat it too in regards to the character of Anakin and Vader. Like, he wants Vader to be the ultimate bad guy, but he also wants to show, oh, there's still some good in him and he can be redeemed. And I almost feel like he cut himself short that by doing that, he really didn't do a good enough job of showing just how much of a villain Vader truly becomes because... We need everybody needs to believe that there's no point back to from Vader Anakin because we know that in episode six there is a way back and Luke finds it, but nobody else is supposed to see it but him. It is wild watching the original trilogy, particularly four, right after having watched this movie. Um, like if you end up doing like a marathon at any point. Um, because it's just like you see you see Anakin at the beginning of that movie like you know, torturing his daughter and <laughs> well, that's why that's why Rogue One is so important now right yeah yeah um, I mean it gives you a little bit of a, a bridge between the two um, And there's Anakin. By the way, does anybody is there a cleanup service for all those bodies that he left behind? Like, like who comes and who comes and cleans up? Like, is somebody going like, damn it, we had another Sith Lord come here and kill yeah. people? Probably got some droids. I mean, you know, it's like three PO throwing Jawas on the fire. Yep, it's always the droids. The droids just pitch them over into the lava. Um, And of course, we got to get three PO on the uh, ship because he has to be there in Episode Four. <laughs> the uh, moment here where he goes, "Oh dear," and then runs up the ramp. Um, 
this is one of the weirdest matching like mismatches of dialogue and action um because he says oh dear and it doesn't line up when with his body action and he throws his arms up in the air it it's really reminiscent of that scene in four there's around the conference table when vader that... says something then stops talking and then starts yeah. pointing and then yes. yeah and then he's like waving his hand afterward and it's like one of the only sort of editing like old school editing mishaps that you see but yeah Might be the first time we see lamps in Star Wars. Desk lamps. Um, <laughs> I wonder if there are glasses on that desk now. Now I want to know. It's like because we've been saying glasses didn't show up till later, but by the way, he stole to uh, Palpatine tells Anakin keeps saying keeps saying Anakin. Okay, send an order to the Trade Federation droids to to stand down and shut themselves off immediately, and then. Here comes uh, Padme's ship. It's like, did he have time between that and then to just send that signal? Because it seems like there wasn't much time there. Yeah, I don't think that happened right away. And that was probably something that uh, we probably get a little more hint of later on where some of these units are, are still like out there. They talk about that in Rebels Um where you see, like, oh gosh, there's, there's still clones, or there's still battle droids yeah. out there, and it's like, well, that that could be why, right there, that that little throwaway bit of dialogue. You know, okay, so this was also awkward, in that when he immediately jumped, when Anakin immediately jumps to the conclusion that. Padme and Obi-Wan are together. That's the inference, right? Mm -hmm. That, oh, it, you're, you're, you're cheating on me with my best friend. That was always awkward, you know? Yeah, I feel like there's there might be like some deleted scenes that would have hinted more at that. And um, hey, yeah, it it's believable given where anakin's yeah, head not is clearly yeah i i, yeah. I get it but it's, yeah um... yeah but i would have it would have been interesting to have like maybe just a little bit more earlier in the movie to so, point so okay so to fredo's point earlier where it's like okay so george was painted into a corner because all the things we had to make sure aligned to episode four right and <laughs> so i do know from what i said from my marching band days when i would um uh write drill and i knew that in the closer in the closing song i wanted a specific formation at a specific point in the music and sometimes the formations leading up to that suffered because i was thinking of what I, so it was like okay that works it's not great but it works because ultimately i want to get to this one point and i think there's a lot of that in this movie and i think there's a lot of that in the rise of skywalker you know it's like we've you know or actually you know and well in some of the sequel uh movies so so i understand that because it's like okay i need to i need to get here so it doesn't have to be perfect but the problem is that it's not perfect leading up to it you know so oh you're breaking my heart and that's what's going to kill me and, 
I I I loved this. I mean, full confession: when when I saw this for the first time in the theaters, I loved it. And this is the movie that I've seen in theaters more than any other movie. Um, and it was because of like where my mind head was he with all of this. Her, he can break her heart, but she that can't be why she dies. Anyway, go ahead. At the time, this was <laughs> the last Star Wars movie. Yeah. Right. Um. So it's like, I'm going with it. Um, yeah. Are there certain things where it's like, oh, that's a little cheesy or whatever. This is acted very well. You may not like the dialogue, but it, it's it comes out as being believable to me because of the performances, because they're like they're they are giving it. They're all here. Um, By the way, right. of might have helped here and there, maybe. But. I just I love this anger that's coming out here and it's it's like okay yeah this is this is where he would be he is off the reservation there's a there's a fa- well, and, there's a little and... bit of failure in writing here coming up though first of all I love Ewan McGregor's acting here and I love Hayden Christensen's until he says you underestimate my power but anyway um, this line coming up when Obi-Wan says only the Sith deal in absolutes that sentence is an absolute. Yeah, only, that got the internet the, nerds really. Only the time. Sith deal in absolutes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, so anyway. And I mean, again, it's a play, I, it's some, a play on, but. No, I, I, I don't think it's, a, I don't really think it's a play on anything. I'll let you finish your thought here. And say, I think, I still think that there's probably, there weren't enough people in the room to say to George Lucas, you know, you know, here. It, no, what it is, it's, George Lucas copying George W. Bush. He's taking because remember these are all political, and George and, and George Lucas loves to stick in his politics into these stories. So this is him taking a line where uh, George W. Bush went up before Congress and said, "If you're not with us, you're against us." So he's trying to borrow that same element and bring it here to make a comment there and how only the bad guys really say that. Yoda, so that's Yoda where that's where that. I love it. Sorry. Yeah, you're I mean, I get that part, Fred. I'm just saying the one sentence only Sith deal in absolutes. Obi-Wan Kenobi just said an absolute. So is Obi-Wan Kenobi a Sith? <laughs> well, it could be a play on words too, and I've seen people defend that line of dialogue saying that it's oh, deal in absolutes. Like only a Sith deals in absolutes in terms of like making deals, etc. And it's like, okay, well now you're getting super hyper literal with it, but um yeah it's just i yeah i think they could have used another rewrite i mean go back through it but again like i I think carrie was involved in this in this rewrite wasn't she well yeah yeah and Um, like not a a lot not a lot of people like sit around and bag on carrie fisher's writing typically so um so what is that go ahead fredo go ahead I'm just going to say, just to follow up and uh, agree with Dave regarding Hayden Christensen, who got maligned a great deal for particularly episode two, but I think even here he didn't get much plotted. But he really sells the heck out of the emotional torment that Anakin has been living through. And in some ways, how liberating this must all be, because you don't have to hide no more. You don't have to doubt no more. He can just let go. Unpopular opinion. The Emperor Yoda fight, 
I enjoy more than the Anakin Obi Wan fight. That's because he threw the whole Senate at him. Yeah. True story. Uh, I agree with you. Um, for like, whatever it's worth, it's my chair. Um, it looks like, uh, uh, yeah, because Obi Wan and Anakin just seems frantic, whereas Emperor and Yoda seem more calculated. You know. And I get it. The Obi-Wan, Anakin one, it's all out of emotion. I get it. That's brother I, I, against brother, whether here's the two peaks of their order finally having it out after a millennia of uh, waiting for it. Yeah, it, it's the Obi-Wan uh, Anakin duel is not in, you know, like anywhere close to like my top five or whatever, but. Um... Uh, this stuff for me is so much more effective than Yoda Dooku in the previous film. Um, I sort, I more, I, I more buy that it's an, a thing that is occurring as opposed to just some digital effect. And one of the things that George really and, uh, uh, Centralic or Nick Gallard really lean on, particularly for the Obi-Wan and Anakin duel, is the idea of because they're Jedi, because they're taught, he once taught the other, their movesets are so familiar so that they're very much on par with one another. Uh, it's really uh, interesting the way that their choreography mimics, mirrors the other. And it's because, of course, they will know what one another knows because one taught the other. Whereas uh, Palpatine and Yoda, oh no, there's no there's no niceties about this. Yoda's flipping and twirling, but uh, Palpatine is just cackling. <laughs> so um, we're going to get Duel of the Fates back shortly. Um, and uh, they, do their, they do their force push. They knock each other out, and then they come back at each other. Uh, they knock the shields out. You get to see that happen. Again, visual storytelling. George is telling us, like, oh, the shield's out, so now they are vulnerable um, to these lava surges. Um, and again, clever. Mm -hmm. um, but now Duel of the Fates kicks back in. And I, I just, like, love it here because it leads straight into Duel for the Galaxy, Yoda in, in the Senate versus Palpatine. And this is just one of my all-time favorite moments. Chucking the Senate pods. It, what in itself is very symbolic of Palpatine destroying democracy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's literally tearing down democracy. You know. And he's using the power that he's kept in for so long to do it. In a way which nobody can, not even, nobody but Yoda can challenge him. I mean, I'll admit, I mean, uh, like I said, Ian McDermott has stated that he's not necessarily a fan of all the big CGI duels and action scenes, but he seems like he's having a ball doing this. <laughs> okay, so there went Yoda's lightsaber. The next time we see that lightsaber is in the Book of Boba Fett. I want to That's know. Correct. I want to know how Luke ended up 
getting that lightsaber. I want to see that in a comic book, and I don't, I don't have to see it in live action. I want to know that story. I also want to know how Luke's lightsaber came into Maz Kanata's, you know, um, possession. So that to me is the more interesting one, just because the last time we saw it, it's fallen down past uh, Ben's clouds. Uh, whereas I could make a case where, you know, basically uh, one of the troopers finds it in the rubble, hands it to Palpatine, and he keeps it in his office as a trophy for the next 20 some odd years until uh, Luke goes into his office and gets it. So there's a way to explain that that makes sense. I still have no idea how Maz ended up with the Skywalker lightsaber. Now, I, this, w- uh, I will also say that I feel like I saw it on the floor, like a few feet away from him when he hit the ground. So I'm like, maybe maybe, maybe he grabbed it. Up. All right. Yeah. All right. So I, I get it that we got a little homage to like pirate movies and, you know, Errol Flynn, Robin Hood type stuff. But this is when the lightsaber duel starts getting a little ridiculous when we start swinging on, you know, poles and balance beams and everything. Um, all right. Let's keep let's look. Does Yoda have his he has his communicator? Is it in his belt? Let's see. He's got his communicator thing. And I think Bail Organa has a different car. He changes new cars like as much as Padme changes hairdos. Um, He's a senator, so maybe that's what he let. You know, Padme's got her wardrobe, whereas uh, Bail has cars. Um, but like I said, I, that's, speak- it just it, this just seems to be like I said when the whole duel becomes ridiculous and actually when i first thought it it was like when they land on the boxes and they're floating on the lava it's just like do you think and in part do you think they're almost trapped by the overwhelming weight that has been placed on this duel by the fan base like it's been built to be a big deal so they couldn't just give us just another duel they have to go somewhere epic and on top of that's why you know, somewhere to try to beat every other group. i think you're absolutely right and that's why i love dave filoni's choice of you know the obi-wan maul duel is you know block hit block slice and we're done right and, you know it's it's very much the indiana jones you know shoot once and the guy's de- you know down um i think you're absolutely right fredo it's like we have people have been talking about this lightsaber duel for you know 30 years so we've got to do something he doesn't have his lightsaber on him unless it's in his jammies um but could uh, be in his jammies yeah um <laughs> but uh so yeah it's like it, they just have to go over the top yeah wait it looked like it had, he had it it looked like he had it in that shot i'm gonna have to do freeze framing with this to to get a full real full ruling on yoda's lightsaber um but yeah there are a lot of reasons the 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 duel isn't perfect, and I think it's because they thought it had to be perfect, more more than anything else. Like they thought they had to nail it or whatever, and they put this pressure on themselves, and they ended up making some choices that, you know, maybe probably weren't the best. Um, but uh, ultimately, other- it does get the job done at the end of the day. I mean. Ultimately, you still tell the story, and and we get, and we get Vader cut down. But I also think in nature is because okay, we started the movie with a lightsaber duel. We had baked the lightsaber duel in the middle. Now we have two. Now next one another going on. So it's almost like you got too much cake at one time. 
And and even like a lot of this doesn't even bother me until Anakin's on top of the one droid. Now now he's on the droid, and now it's sort of weird and silly. Um, but uh, prior to this, some of the theatrics, you know, they're swinging the sabers way too fast. You can't follow the action super well, but it's also like unrealistic to see people like swinging sticks around that quickly. Um, there's that, there's that famous Jeff of the two of them, like s- twirling their lightsabers next to each other, like trying not to hit each other. Um, there's a lot of failings here, but, um, but yeah, again, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, we're, we're sort of quibbling because it's like, well, we uh, had built it up. So we, we had, we did want this thing to deliver. And we finally just got a, a little bit of dialogue between Obi-Wan and Anakin. That's what this duel needed was more, mm-hmm. more dialogue, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but except for, oh. Like this uh, coming up is like just um, an example of how why George Lucas is not a good director of actors. He's a good director of action and good and a good storyteller and everything. But this, who could look at this line from Hayden Christensen saying, "You underestimate my power," and like know that that's the best take. Ugh. Sorry. It never bothered me. Oh, it's always bothered me from the moment he uttered it. And what do you call a guy with no arms and no legs laying on the ground? Matt. You call a guy with no arms and no legs. Thing of leaves. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Darth Matt. Um, I do love the little bit of trivia here, which is that uh, they had not shot Obi-Wan picking up Anakin's saber to eventually hand on to Luke. They had totally forgotten to do that, and they had to they had to shoot that later on. I did not post. know that. I did not know that. Makes sense. I mean, you he wouldn't have thought to necessarily pick it up, but then we know that he did, and so we need to see that again. This at this point, we're just connecting dots between this point and Episode Four. And what I'm waiting for, okay, so this is what I can't wait for in the Obi-Wan series, because at some point, because Obi-Wan doesn't know that Anakin is in the suit, and that for all intents and purposes, he thinks that Darth Vader is dead, but at some point, he's going to hear about Darth Vader, and that's going to ring his bell going, oh crap, Anakin's still alive. And then that sets up probably their duel in you know, the Obi-Wan series. That's do you be think? A... Do you think we will see that on screen? Because he may have realized it prior to the point of seeing it on in Obi Wan. Well, I don't think. I think what's going to happen is he's going to an Inquisitor is going to find him, and they're going to mention Lord Vader, and he's going to be like, "What did you just say?" And so I think. I think that. I mean, that's my that's my thought on the whole thing. Yeah, because thinking about it, part of me has always wondered, you know, ever since we heard that we're getting the Obi-Wan series and Hayden was going to come back, looking back at episode four, that moment when Obi-Wan comes up to Vader standing there in the hallway, it's like he knew who that was, clearly, because he told the lie to Luke about 
his pupil, his dad being killed by Darth Vader. So he knows who it is. But it's also a question of had he seen him before that point? Well, he says he's more machine now than man. So he... So he knows what he looks like. So so that moment in episode four shouldn't come as a surprise. And if we're going to get a a duel between them, it won't come as a surprise because he'll have seen him beforehand. You know, the other thing about that that I'm thinking about right now is does uh, does Palpatine utter the name Vader during that security He does. Uh, footage? He does. So, but like I said, so Obi-Wan knows the, the name, name Vader. Vader. knows that Anakin's going yeah. by Darth Vader. But for all, for all he knows right now, Anakin's burning on Mustafar and dead. Yeah, and like by and he's going to be he's going to be out on Tatooine, probably away from all the news and everything. And eventually, yeah. I mean, it's not like everybody's going to hear about Darth Vader. Um, but that's why I think a, an Inquisitor is going to be is going to drop the name, and he's going to go, "Oh crud, he's still alive." It's possible. Yeah, at some point, at some point, you you imagine that he will know that. Anakin survived, that Vader's still out there, that he's still being hunted by him. So that's all going to be an interesting uh, moment in the series because I wonder how much of Padme's death he's going to, you know, Anakin's going to throw at Obi-Wan and likewise. This scene right here. Episode four. Sorry, this scene right here. Oh, I wish they would have left it. If you read in the novelization, and of course you've got the deleted scene at Yoda is speaking with Qui-Gon and why didn't they leave that in? Uh. Uh. Uh, right before that, we got to see Palpatine kneel beside with Anakin. A, a sign of compassion. Like, it didn't feel wrong, though. Like, even on first viewing and in subsequent mm-hmm. viewings, it doesn't feel, like, out of character or wrong. And I've always... Like I've never wrapped my brain around quite why. Um, maybe he's just a, an acknowledgement that he's not completely awful. Um, obviously, he's invested in this man and trying to make him the best Sith he can make him, so that you know he has a worthy apprentice and all that. Um, but you know, it's such a weird little detail. And it always strikes me every time I see it, and it never feels out of place, but it does just like it does just like add this little layer of complexity that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Now, yeah, of course, if like I wanna, so. If I want to go into my own head canon and try to make sense of this, perhaps. Okay. The the force is taking all of Padme's life force and putting it into Luke and Leia. Yeah, to to yeah, the I most mean, powerful, I mean, to always... the most powerful Jedi, you know, um, maybe that's just, that True. was just part, that was just part of the deal, you know, that, you know. Well, I mean, and maybe, I mean, all they needed to say is that between her injuries and her trauma and all the, and the fact that she's delivering uh, children into the world, which is one of the most, traumatic and difficult and dangerous moments any woman can go through. Uh, they didn't need much to explain why she would die in childbirth. Of course, 
that goes against what we heard in Return of the Jedi. You know, and that's so, the thing. I wish I wish they would have left yeah. her, let her live, and she went to live on Alderaan. And it Kinda turns like out that Anakin ends up being a part of you know what ends up killing her anyway and blowing up Alderaan. Mm-hmm. Um, but you take oh. away that one line, she has lost the will to live. Take that stupid, goofy line delivered by that stupid goofy robot character and then it all works right and it works so mm-hmm. much better because again it's open to interpretation well you can, and, you, you and can women, even women say... die in childbirth i yeah. mean it, yeah that that's a thing that's a thing yeah yeah but yeah uh, she you, lost you could also live, interpret it as her transferring some of her life force into anakin to save mm-hmm. him true uh, which i think know. is what leia did for Ben. I love, right. Mm-hmm. By the but way, again, the, the subtitles also... there just said soft thud. Anyway, I, I like, I, the, <laughs> moment, me, the moment the mask gets that... put on is awesome. Anyway, go ahead, Fredo. No, I was going to say, and part of me thought if you wanted, because you've established that when she was young, when she was the queen, that she had a number of lookalike agents that were their handmaidens. So she could have assumed, you know, if you wanted her to still live and long enough for her to kind of be looking in the background on Leia and Alderaan before she passes away. You could have said she pretended to die and then she assumed the identity of one of her handmaidens and she went to work for, you know, Bail Organa and his wife. But of course, part of the problem here is if Padme is alive, no way would she have given up Luke. And you need to separate the twins. Yeah, I want to go on record here. I do not mind the Frankenstein homage until no. the, until that that is that is I, I don't mind him breaking free of his of his bonds and then destroying the whole room but him going no is just like ugh. yeah and again it's, and little, again, it's little things like that that makes me you know, I, the the movie is is good, but it's those little things. It's just a punch to the gut where it's just kind of like, uh, uh. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sitting here, you're really enjoying it, you're really liking what you're seeing, and then like a moment. It's it's like uh, it's like you're really it's like you're really enjoying this comedian, and then he tells a really racist joke, and you just go, oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. Like I said, I don't mind any of it until he says, you know, no. Uh, but anyway, I'm thankful for no that it exists because we can all laugh at no. Um, the no yeah, that kills me is when they transpose that in the Return of the Jedi. Yes, like that, that makes oh, me God. even more mad. Yes, I can't deal with that. Like, no, no. <laughs> yes, no. Again, the music is doing all the hard work. You don't need to do nothing. And again, that's the thing is that that makes me wonder is uh, uh, every good leader, you know, every every good there has to be somebody there has to be, you know, Paul McCartney had to have John Lennon to say, you know, yeah, no, that's not that's not good. They had to have that relationship to be able to say, no, that's really bad. Let's make it better this way. You, you have to have somebody in the room that is, you know, confident enough to say, no, George, don't put no, don't don't. We don't want to do that because it'll sound dumb, you know. And George Lucas, least, has, George Lucas has to have, you know, the, I suppose the the 
skin thick enough to be able to, you know, and the humility enough to have somebody in the room that is that sounding board. Um, well, but okay, I don't, bit so of I don't, trivia. I don't, don't know if there's anybody in the room for him. No, not, not at this point. Uh, by the way, what was the last line ever uttered in a Star Wars movie until The Force Awakens came out? I don't know. Ripia going, oh no. <laughs> when uh, Bill Organa says, well, we erase his mind wipe him. There you go. And here yeah, we go. Was... Yeah, it's coming up. And, we have to uh, give you the we... Captain Antilles. That's right. So I guess that means that R2 and 3PO and Captain Antilles just stayed uh, on Bill Organa's uh, chauffeur ship for the next 18 years. <laughs> Must. I think they got to get off the ship once in a while. We saw that in Rogue One, you know. That's true. That's true. But it does explain why they're there, you know, in uh, in uh, Yavin 4 before they come back. You know, we don't really understand that we just saw Padme's parents because that whole scene was cut from episode two. Yeah. It's a little yeah. confusing. Um, however, I do like that the Gungans are there and I like the Japur snippet here. That's, mm -hmm. that's a very poignant uh, moment. I kind of I like the very Empire Strikes Backish look here, and um, mm -hmm. was it clear to you that this was Grand Moff Tarkin or Admiral Tarkin anyway? Yeah, yeah. The 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 CGI with his face as well as his positive the way he's standing is just screaming Tarkin. Yeah. Silhouette. And so then we uh, whisk away to Alderaan, showing that Leia is going to be living there. Looking for Leia in Alderaan places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this was our first glimpse at Alderaan. I remember in the theaters, everyone's like, "Oh, look, it's Alderaan!" Like how she's just sitting there waiting, and all of a sudden, like, "Here, here's a baby." <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he looking like he's her. trying to get credit for it. <laughs> look, look, I got us a baby. <laughs> don't you think that? Don't you think the conversation would be where? Where did this come from? Where did you get this? Um, and and I and I like the the ending here with uh, Owen and Baru. It'll be interesting also to see where the falling out between Obi Wan and Owen takes place. Because mm -hmm. he doesn't think highly of Obi Wan in Episode Four, and here it seems like okay, yeah, we'll help you out, no problem, you know. Uh, well, I kind of imagine that uh, you know, once Owen sees the Inquisitors and the way they're still hunting Jedi, and the idea of threatening the kid that he's raised as his own for close to a decade happens, that he might be less willing to let said kid go off with old crazy Ben to go fix the galaxy. And again, it's like, here you go, have a kid. Um, but 
yeah, the twin twin sunsets, you know. So it's it's a really fitting way for them to have ended it. it I mean, it was a, it was a good epilogue. It was a good mm-hmm. epilogue for for this. I you know I. Yeah, um, I think for be, your your, your point, your, your point of um, the fact that there were so many dots to connect um, made for some herky jerky you know, writing and moments. Um, we saw that in the sequel trilogy as well, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, uh, but like I said, it's, I, I, and please, I, I don't dislike the movie, but like I said, there are just so many of those moments that make me, you know, go, Ugh, that I, I just tend not to, you know, really fire that one up on, you know, on Disney plus when I'm bored, you know, um, I also think because of the nature of the story and because of how much episode one particularly, but also episode one, episode two, George got to let his imagination run wild, do what he needed, because he only needed to hit one or two big points, really. This is the movie where everything has to come together in order to give us the world or the galaxy as we know it when episode four happens. So that leaves him less time to play around. So whenever he does, stuff sticks out a bit more because whether it's the lizard on Udapau or the uh, soft moments between Anakin and Padme, if they don't hit right, they stick out because there's so much other stuff that they need to fill in. Well, it gives it gives credence to the people who argue that you know leave out Episode One and start with Episode Two, mm-hmm. and take the stuff from Episode Two and maybe a little bit from the Clone Wars in Episode Three, and you have, you know it would probably make for a more cohesive story, but eh, oh well. And then really the biggest dynamic I think is because we got to see, I mean, there was no romance in episode one. There couldn't be, let's put it that way. Uh, so <laughs> that meant that all the heavy lifting for the doom star cross romance between Anakin Skywalker and Padme Abidala had to be set in episode two, which you can't do in one movie. It has been, no, that's not impossible to do. You know, Empire Strikes Back did it with Han and Leia. Yeah. But because, yeah, but because you're, you're, you're building so much of Anakin's fall into this tapestry of that romance, you, it either connects or it fails. And if it didn't connect with you, you don't buy his fall. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, so much of this boils down to choices and the, the choices that George made in the first movie dictated what he had to do in the second movie. And then that dictated what he had to do in the third. And, um, you know, this is ultimately a story that a lot of people, um, maybe didn't envision or think that they were, that we should have gotten, but, um, it is what we got. Um, and, and- I really appreciate the ambition of it all because again, like George is trying to tell this story in a unique visual manner that like hadn't been really done before. Like the way that they leaned on green screen and all the effects and everything else, again, maybe too ambitious, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'd rather see some, I always, I always use this analogy. I'd rather see a, a hitter like Sammy Sosa come up to the plate than you know some guy who's just trying to get on base 
because like yeah he's gonna strike out a whole bunch of times but he's also gonna hit that you know 500 footer um and like that's that's how i look at the prequels um there's a bunch of strikeouts but there's also a bunch of 500 footers and you know um, we'll we'll never we'll never know um but it is uh, so it seems like um and i know it's problematic to bring up this author's name but uh it it, it would have been would have to take the pre the, the people who made the prequels and the people who made the the sequels um if they would have been more along the lines of what jk rowling did with the harry potter series where it was everything was mapped out and then she wrote the story whereas it seemed like we went through the prequels and the sequels movie to movie it's like i need to do this thing in this movie then it's like okay so now what happens you had a general idea of what was going on but you know she had everything and so when you read those books it's like something you read in book six harkens back to you know it's like that's why they mentioned it in book two you know it was like they laid it there for you and while it was a throwaway thing in book two all of a sudden it is like the most important thing in the world so mm -hmm. if you know and that's what i that's what i hope going forward if you're going to if we're going to be creating star wars trilogies it's like write the whole story and then get the director or directors to make that that movie series you know you yeah, could you, you could make the argument this is the most cohesive of the Star Wars trilogies, the prequels, yeah. um, because it was sort of mapped out in a way. Like he knew he had to get from point A to point B. Um, it's just like the the in between those two points was was kind of like haphazard at times. Um, yeah. I was just thinking, actually, when you're talking about literary journeys, I was thinking of George R. R. Martin and A Song of Ice and Fire, because he's still a decade later, still writing book six. And you're like, why would me not just put it out? And it's because he's one of those authors who has the big kind of beats kind of mapped out. But then he goes off on these tangents and he explores over here and does, does over there. And literature is different than film. He can do that in literature. And as long as there's enough binding glue to hold all the pages together, you're good. A movie, there's a limit to how much movie you can put on the, team, on the screen. Fair enough. Uh, but I think... No, I said fair enough. But yeah, but, yeah. yeah, but I do think to your point, you're right. It's it's better if you kind of, if you know where you're supposed to go. That way, you don't get lost in the weeds when you have to switch jockeys mid race. I guess you know so when you have to if, lose Colin Trevorrow for J.J. Abrams. So that's why I'm saying if they if they're not going to do that, you know, it's like hire Dave Gladow to write a trilogy and then hire three directors to make that movie you know um if you're not going to do that then just have three standalone star wars movies and just let dave write his and fredo write his and me write mine anyway um because what you know it just didn't really work in the sequels the way i think they hoped it to well we have kept everybody for two and a half hours and uh 5 a.m is going to come really early so any final thoughts for uh, for everybody, Dave or Fredo? I just think the zeitgeist of this movie um, matters when evaluating it a lot. He's like, this was 
this was the last Star Wars movie at the time. Like, that was such a big deal. And I know that when Phantom Menace came along, everyone was like, oh, I never thought we'd get the prequels. It's like, well, you're getting them. And then once six came around, or when three came around, it was like, well, this is it. This is the end of it. And we didn't think we were getting any more after that. And so for me, I will always look back at this movie as just being like, it hit me at the right time in my life for me to just fully appreciate it. Um, and I, I'll always love this movie. Yeah, just finally, I'm just thinking, you know, I always recognize that the prequel trilogy was made for that new generation of Star Wars fan more as much as it was made for the original trilogy fans, because you see all the fan, just look at the way that people reacted to the Obi-Wan trailer and all the music there, where there was Duel of Fates, Battle of the Heroes, or all the reactions that you see whenever they show you a new version of Order 66. This movie, whatever its flaws, it had such emotional moments that for many within the fan base, it's it, it's quintessential. They cannot separate being a Star Wars fan from Episode 3, from Order 66, from General Grievous, from everything that... that this movie brought to them well cool all right well thanks for watching uh revenge of the sith with us guys and uh um uh so with that we will say who dat who dat and everybody have an awesome week my monkey